So if you have a Bible or a New Testament, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, and if you see 1 Corinthians, slow down, get to the big number 2, then to chapter 4, and we'll, we'll launch in. Our question today is, uh, how, how do I deal with disappointing situations? How do I handle the disappointments of life? They're inevitable. They're going to happen. So, God our Father in heaven, now it's unto you that we commit this time in particular to hear you from your word, which has been speaking for thousands of years before we, we got here, and will continue to speak, for your word is forever settled in heaven. So, Lord, for that, um, may we hear what your word is saying and take it to heart, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You're going to have in life uh, letdowns, some disappointments. You want to go do something and the weather doesn't allow you to do it, right? You've had that. Um, you've gone to an event and it didn't end up being quite as great as you'd thought. You ever paid big money for a concert only to find the guy on stage has aged and isn't nearly as good as they used to be? That's my life right now. Yes. So I remember them when they were younger and Wanda says, yes, so. So were you. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, there's some, certain things in life, like aging and weather, you can't control. Some things you can control, like grades in school and, and uh, testing and showing up and, and being better at playing a musical instrument. We have a phrase that we, I like to use with the praise team. The, the more you practice, the luckier you get. You know? <laughs> it's just you get better when you practice. You know? There are some things you can control and some things you cannot. And uh, just like you, I've got kids who are going into that driving stage, and we live not far from the College of Southern Maryland, so there's always those young drivers on Mitchell Road, which I find to be the best road. If you can get off Mitchell, you can drive anywhere. You know, it's over the river through the woods to grandmother's house we go on Mitchell Road. And um, it's just a crazy road. But it, it, I, I say it all the time, and there's things I tell my kids, like, you can't control weather, fog, night, rain. You can't control it. So what can you control? And they always go, your speed. Get home as fast as you can. Okay, not, not exactly, honey. Just uh, your speed. That is the right answer. But you can control your speed. So you slow down. Some things in life you can control. Some things you can't. But you will inevitably be disappointed in life. The missed job opportunity. or uh, uh, The biggest disappointment when people come to me with a question is, how do I handle this? It's a, it's a friendship gone strange. It's a friendship gone crooked. It's a friendship that's broken. It's a family member who we just, we hate to get together. We hate holidays now because this family member, and it is just a, a disappointment. We, we can't seem to fix it. And what Jesus said was this, John chapter 16, in the words, he's already said, I'm going to go to heaven. You don't have to worry. It's chapter 14, chapter 15. I'll be your friend. Chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things that you may have peace. Why? Because the world is full of trouble. You're going to have these kinds of troubles all the days of your life. And, and so you, in the world you'll have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because Jesus overcomes the world. But how do I take heart? Jesus overcomes the world, but I'm not there with Jesus yet. So I, don't, I feel like an overcomer, but not an actualized overcomer. I want to be an overcomer, but I'm not there yet. And so this is what happens you go to a seminar at a hotel at the airport on a weekend, and they tell you how to get, you know, for $99, we'll fix all your problems. So you go, and they tell you old school. It, you got problems, just get over it. 
Just get over it. Okay, I didn't need to pay $99 to hear that. Then you go to the next seminar, and it's not old uh, school. It's new school. It's like just meditate. Play some music and set some butterflies free. I mean, just do whatever it takes. Okay, that's, I still got problems, though, and I paid another $99. I like, I like better the sadistic school of thought, which is my life may be miserable, but thank God yours is worse. You met people like that? I'm one of them. Like, I'm miserable myself, but I take delight in knowing I'm not as bad off as you are. So realize that in life, some of you are saying, is he serious? Absolutely. Absolutely. I like the problems I have because they're mine, and I wouldn't want yours. I mean, you, you think yours are the worst. You know what major surgery is, don't you? Surgery on me. You know what minor surgery is? Surgery on you, right? I mean, because we're very selfish people, your pastor included. And we don't want trouble. We don't want disappointment. We want it to all to end all together at the same time. We want it to be, we want it to be wonderful. We don't, we don't want any family issues. We don't want to lose the job or miss the interview. And we want it to measure up to the memory that we had. Otherwise, life's always a series of disappointments. What I find is this, though. The Bible is full of disappointed people of God. These are godly people, and they're still disappointed. Job had terrible things happen in his life, or as my kids say, terrible things. Terrible. Say it with me. Terrible. Yes, it's with a U and a couple of Ws. Terrible things. You know, his, his family died, all but his wife, who was a real blessing. Why don't you curse God and die? And it's what she said to him. My wife said some stuff to me, but never anything like that. I mean, she'll say, you're going out looking like that? Yeah. No, I always dress this way right before I change clothes before I go out. But she's never said to me, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, that would be a wife you don't really need. If ever there were a case to like, okay, don't listen to her, that might be one of them. His kids die, his cattle dies, everything dies, and it's disappointing. His friends offer advice to him that's just bad. You know, it's just bad advice. You've had that. You're in trouble, and people just, you know, they give you all kinds of advice, and none of it was going to work, and you already know that. And they go, well, I, I tried to help him, but he's just not teachable. Well, no, no. It just isn't going to work. Number two, and not only is Job one of the illustrations of that, but I think of Hannah. Hannah had no children, and everybody has no children. Everyone tries to fix people with no children. And, and, and when they do that, that does not help people with no children. It doesn't help them to get children, usually. Have you tried? No, we tried that. It doesn't work. All it does is make them more aware that they don't have what they desperately long for. And it's a disappointment. I think of Jeremiah, who was let down not just by people, but by an entire nation. His whole nation, he wanted to move away, but he was left. He was the leftovers. He was the dregs of his own nation. He would have left, but there was nowhere to go. So in order to understand this, this disappointment thing, I think what we have to do is we have to get what I call the macro view, the on top, 30,000 feet flying overhead, get that view, and then we're going to get the micro view. First, the macro view, which is, number one, we have to understand in the big picture, in the fly-over-the-sky kind of view, is that God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, there's nothing out of his control. Daniel, who, who went, was misunderstood and misquoted and, and just maligned, 
He says, the decision is announced by the messengers, the holy ones, Daniel chapter four, declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high sovereign over the kingdoms on the earth gives to them anything he wishes, to anyone he wishes. He understood, even in the midst of the fiery furnace, he understood this in the midst of all the pit of his life. The Lord God is sovereign. Now we like sovereignty of God. We want God to be sovereign when we're winning, when it's working in our favor, when we like what's happening. We don't like the sovereignty of God when we don't understand it, when we don't get our way. And we don't under, we, most of the time, we don't understand the sovereignty of God. It's the fact that God has the right to rule. We don't get that. Why? Because, Isaiah put it this way, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. So we just don't get it. But because he is sovereign, we have to understand he is in control, even in the midst of our problems, even in the midst of our disappointments. Secondly, we understand this, that since God is actively involved, I'm never alone in this. I am not left out, hanging to dry. Joseph, who had been misunderstood his entire life and mistreated, when it all caught up to him and his brothers who had done him dirty his whole life, what was his perspective? He said, you intended it for bad. God's intending this for good. God's going to bring something good out of this. God is not silent. You are never alone, even when it's stacked against you, even when you're misunderstood. And that's how you understand the, the greater perspective of disappointment. Thirdly, we get it this way. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that God is in this for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, number three, since God is good, there's a bigger part, another part of the story. In other words, the chapter you're in is just one chapter in this lifelong story, and it is disappointing. But since, since God is good, and his compassion, he has made us, because he is good, this is only a small part, and it will ultimately come out to being good. It may be painful for the moment, but good in the long run. First uh, Peter chapter two, like newborn babes, we, create, we crave the spiritual milk of the word so that by it we'll grow up into salvation. And when we do, we will taste and see. And we will know. You'll know. You'll not just hear about it. You'll not just think about it. You will know God really is good. I've told you many times, I have a lot of friends who are lots of different uh, uh, backgrounds. I have a buddy in Chicago. He's a pastor. And his name's Victor. His real name's Manuel. But there are like 400 Manuel Mendozas in Chicago. So he goes by the name Victor. One day he says to me, you ever had tres leches? I said, no, but it sounds like something that would eat my skin. No, not leeches, leches. Okay, tres leches, oh, sure. Victor would take me to Mexican restaurants and order for me and then laugh with an evil kind of laugh and then watch me as I would eat whatever he put in front of me and then I would run to a fire hydrant to try to, you know, because I, 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 I can't take spicy food. He eats another food called menudo. Do you know what menudo is? Oh, my gosh. Even Victor sweats when he eats it. He just, he said, I said, why do you eat that stuff? He said, because it gets the demons out. You know, it's just it's so hot, spicy. <laughs> I use that to get the oil stains off of my driveway. That's what I use menudo for. So anyway, he, he tells me about this tray leches. He said, uh, it's made of three milks. That's what it means. It's a cake, but you buy the cake and it's in a bowl, or if you buy it to go, it's in a styrofoam container that has a cap on it, and they pour three milks on this cake. So the cake is soaking 
and milk. So, okay, I could put this cake with milk on it. What's the big deal? He goes, no. You've never had trail H's. You have no idea. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's unlike any milk you've ever had. But I think I know. He said, no, you don't. So we, we go to a bakery. In, uh, this was Aurora, Illinois. We go in. He orders two trail H's. We get a little plastic forks. We go out on the sidewalk. I open this thing. It made my jaw ache. It was so good. And now I know. It's different than a milk, because it's three milks. I, I don't want to know the animals, Victor. Really, I don't. A snake, a turkey. Where'd you get the milk from? You know, I'm hoping one of them's a cow. You know, just <laughs> a goat, a normal animal. Lie to me if it's not. But then I knew. I knew that I knew. Why? Because I had tasted it. Get that? I taste and see the, oh, this is really good, Victor. Why haven't you told me about this before? He laughed. He, he always did that as a setup to the next disastrous lunch. You know, he always, the next one, then he would take me down. And, uh, but you don't really know until you know that you know that you've tasted it for yourself. That's what God wants in our lives. He wants you to taste and know that he really is good. That's kind of the macro vision to this thing. Now, for the micro vision, what we have to do is close in real tightly on one situation, and the situation I've picked for this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it's the story of Paul. Here's the story. Paul grows up a Jewish boy with Jewish studies, Jewish school. He learns law. He goes to law school, becomes an attorney, but in Jewish law, in a Roman society, he's got it down. This guy this guy's going to make great money. He can do about anything he wants. He's got Roman citizenships. He's got a lot working in his favor. And so when he says something, pretty much it would get done. So when Christianity first came out, he didn't like Christians. So what did he do? He had, them, he had them beat up and thrown in jail. He had some of them killed. He actually would stir the crowd to have it happen. That's crazy. But these people were close to him. Now, what happens is after that happened for a while, one day he meets the Lord on a road the Lord comes down to him in a, in a shining moment, blinds him, and brings him to himself. And now that he's come to Christ, now he's saying, the very people I persecute, those are the people I love. Well, the people that he's persecuted, now he says they're the ones he loves, they're not gonna trust him. They're not gonna, why would they bring him into their home? He's just gonna beat him up and take him to jail. So he, he's disappointed by the Christians, but he's given up on his old friends, so now he has no friends at all. So he takes several years to sort all this out. And while he's sorting it out, you cannot imagine that he's lost his old friends, but he's not gained the new ones yet because they don't really trust him. So he's a pretty lonely guy. And in the midst of that, now persecution comes on him. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I see in verse 1, therefore since... Um, through God's mercy, we have the, this ministry. We do not lose heart. What's he losing heart over? The fact that he's getting beat up and thrown out of town everywhere that he goes. It's a very disappointing situation because he's saying, I, I don't deserve this. I serve the living God. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God. We are pressed in on every side but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. This is a guy, he's just getting beat up. Struck down but not destroyed, we always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. It is a tough, tough life. So how, how does he 
how does he focus in? How does he handle this? How are you and I going to handle the, the disappointments, the stressors of life? Skip down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose hope. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, who now has come to Christ in personal faith, he's been intimidated by his uh, former friends who now want his head on a platter. He's been jailed, he's been falsely accused, he's been beat up, kicked out of town. And he says, we are crushed, but we are, we are not falling apart. We're not going to lose this battle. We're going to win ultimately. But he says, number one, I see it in verse 16, the very front end. He says, you have to guard your heart. You have to make sure you do not lose heart. How in the world do we get a really good view of not being disappointed with people? Number one, I have to attend to my own heart. Because out of my heart are going to be all the issues of life. And what could happen is, after being disappointed by people, after a while, you just, you just start getting calloused about people, don't you? After you've been disappointed, beat up by people, or lost by people, or people deny you, and, and don't treat you well, you either harden up, harden a shell over, you stop trusting, stop engaging, you're shell-shocked, so you back away. And Paul says, you have to guard from that. You have to keep on caring about people and attending to your own heart. Therefore, we're not going to lose heart. You know, sometimes in the midst of uh, serving the Lord and doing the right thing, you lose heart. You go through the motions and you begin to lose heart. That's why it's so important we focus on the issues of our own heart, what's happening inside of us. Number two I see at the end of verse 16, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're renewed. We're being renewed every day, so we have to renew the spirit every day, and that's not anything on the exterior. That's all about the interior. It's all about what's happening inside of us because people will disappoint you. You have to settle down. That is going to happen. Perhaps God has in his agenda book moments when you are going to be disappointed by people, not because he takes delight in seeing you disappointed, but because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to draw in close to him. He wants you to know what it's like. My God, my God, I feel like you've forsaken me, David said. I, I have to pull in close to Christ and have my spirit renewed because I'm going to be let down when I look other places. And if they don't let me down now, eventually they will. People will let you down. They're human. Ultimately going to do that. And God uses, I think, that disappointment at times just to draw us back to himself. So, number one, guard your heart. Don't let, don't let yourself lose heart. Number two, attend to that inner spirit. Get, make sure it's renewed. Make sure you're keeping a tender heart to the Lord, even when people disappoint you. And I think you cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he does care for you. He gets it. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. Number three, you keep perspective on this thing. For our light and momentary troubles. I, I have to stop there. Anybody else, a guy who's been beat up, thrown out of town, maligned, you know, has clothes torn and uh, been shunned, and he says, oh yeah, this is just light and momentary. I'm having trouble with that, frankly. I'm thinking, this is not light, and it is not momentary. It's taking forever. 
and I, I don't like it. Why? Because it's my personal pain. But, but he says it's light and momentary trouble. It's achieving for us an eternal kind of glory. Uh, verse 17. That far outweighs them all. So I keep perspective on what God is up to. And even though I have trouble with this one, even after the loss and the beatings, he's saying I have greater perspective that in the bigger picture, God is in this, as bad as it gets, it's nothing compared to how great it's ultimately going to be. And that keeps us looking forward to the glory, not looking down at our problems. That keeps us looking forward to the glory and not back at the trouble or back at our own disappointments. We need to keep our eyes upon the glory. And they just stop right here and say, some of us are disappointed, but not with other people. We find our greatest disappointment with ourselves. It's pretty quiet in here when I say that. But it's true, isn't it? And, and here's what I find too. The people who are hardest on other people oftentimes are hard on other people because they're disappointed with their own performance. So then they turn that to other people. Not a fun place to be. But when you recognize that, maybe you'll let off on other people knowing that you're just throwing exhaust on them because of your own inability, inability to really live a satisfying kind of life because you're so disappointed. So get perspective on this. And then finally, verse 18, live with eternity in mind. We fix our eyes, verse 18, on not what is seen, but what is unseen. So, the longer that we, that we walk in favor with the Lord and understand this is gonna, disappointment's going to happen. There are going to be letdowns in life. The longer we get this greater perspective that God is in this and for our good, and we focus on the eternal, not on the, the immediate, we realize this, that God is, is up to the business of growing us up, and he's using disappointment to do it. He's building the heart muscle within us to make sure our hearts are cultivated, tender to him. But then God is in this because not only because he's helping us grow, but it's to keep us from the false loyalties of being too attracted to someone else who ultimately will disappoint us. And that does, you see, it's the problem. We love, to, we love to show our affection and our loyalty to other people. Eventually, they're not going to let us down because they're human. And then when they let us down, we've been knocked off the pedestal. I mean, we've knocked them off the pedestal. It's a, it's a bad fall. So what God does is he puts those disappointments in our lives to build our own heart, to build our own character, to teach us about eternity, but then to keep us from false loyalty, to make us aware of our own disappointing moments, and to correct our own crash course, because if, if we're disappointed with ourselves, there's a the potential we could be disappointing other people, and that ultimately, if we correct that course, that helps prepare us for heaven, and it reminds us ultimately that there is a savior in heaven. This is where this is going. There's a savior in heaven who will never, ever disappoint. And that's where our affection should be. Amen, church? That's where our affection should be. On the one and only Savior, who even in our disappointments, who will never let us down, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. And, and so we can trust the sovereign Lord 
and we know that he is in caring and out for our good, and because he's a good God, he's not gonna leave us alone, even when this chapter of life is tough, he is still a good God, and he is the only one who will never, ever disappoint. His name is Jesus. He is friend and guide. He is Savior and Lord. And because of that, I believe sometimes the very disappointments we face in life are to pull us in closer to the Lord. And maybe that's what God's up to in your life. I hope so. Let's bow for prayer. As we pray, let's stand to our feet. For I pray, let me give you the big idea of where I'm headed with this. Your disappointments are God's appointment to get you to Jesus. Your disappointment, those disappointments are God's appointment to get you to Jesus. You will always be disappointed by people. I will. I'm disappointed with myself on, on occasion. But Jesus will never let us down. And so we pull in close to you, Father in heaven. We thank you again for Christ, our Savior, who is amazing in his grace towards us, who is good in all of his ways towards us. And he's not just the Savior of the second chance. He's Savior of the third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh chances. Thank you for the Savior, who never disappoints us when we feel disappointed by others, who never disappoints us when we feel disappointed by ourselves. So we live to his glory and we pray that we would be loyal followers, knowing that there is a Father in heaven who loves us infinitely more than we know and is out for our good, but in his sovereignty puts these kind of chapters in our lives, not as an obstacle course, but as actual curriculum because he's out for our good. So we trust you and we follow you all the days of our lives. May we be faithful followers who want to follow you, we pray. And I pray this in the name of Christ, our loving, risen Savior. And the church says amen. 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 Love you.